welcome. Have you guys eaten lunch? Some are eating right now. That's great. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I thought when they said it was a lunch summit, I thought, huh. First thing I thought was, when am I going to get lunch? But that, I already ate, so. And in and out that was so great. Thanks for being here. Um, enjoying the conference? Yes, amen. This is my uh, second time, and uh, it's quite thrilling to be surrounded by so many guys who are just wanting to glorify Jesus by serving in his church. Um, I'm here with my daughter, Brittany. She's the one who's helping me, although I don't see her right now. Oh, she's right there. <laughs> Usually she's off doing something, try, really, like trying to, to uh, make my way through a crowd here. Uh, it's, it's challenging, <laughs> it's just, but it's a joy, but Brittany helps me do that, so she, uh, she helps me do a lot of things. Um, I'm supposed to mention, before I get started, that um, we have a conference in July in Frisco, Texas, if you want to think about bringing your team to it. It's called Worship God Conference. The theme is uh, this year is um, Extraordinary, the Weekly Worship of the Gathered Church. Uh, because I think in many places, uh, what we do on Sundays is uh, not seen as high priority, and to make it exciting, extraordinary people go to means other than what God has given us, which is his word and the gospel and his spirit working through his people. So that's the theme of the conference. So we have um, cards about, on, about that. Where, where are those cards? In the table in the back, and uh, excellent, thank you, Holy. And then we also have a free Sovereign Grace Music sampler for each of you guys. Um, and those, look, he's holding them back, holding them, up, hold them up, holding them up back there. Yes, very well, very well done. And uh, so that's, I think, eight of our songs. And uh, so that's just for you guys. Um, thanks for being here. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to listen to me talk. <laughs> Should be exciting time. <laughs> All right. My wife always asked me, uh, don't you ever get tired of talking? I said, nope, no, I don't. But I'm among friends. Probably you're the same way. Uh, let's, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to spend this time together. Uh, we thank you for the time that we've had to uh, fellowship, to hear your word preached, to sing your praises, to behold your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We, we pray that you would uh, help us during this time to hear your heart, to equip us by your spirit, by your word. Father, we don't take for granted uh, the task you called us to in, in serving those for whom Christ died. Uh, we want to do it better. We want to do it more effectively. We want to do it more joyfully. Uh, so we ask that our time together would be uh, a means to that end. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the, the title of what I want to share today is Pastoring Through Song, How Congregational Singing Serves to Build the Church. And I thought uh, at a conference where the theme is, I will build my church, this would just be an appropriate topic. Um, there have been conversations and conflict about music in the church for centuries. And um, it's, it's a question we're always asking, how do we think about music in the church? So these are some of the ways we think about music in the church. Warm up for the sermon. A lot of churches see it that way. We just kind of, pastors said, get the music done so I can, you know, tee me up so I can do my thing. Um, display of excellence and skill. So we, you know, we, we just have the very best, most gifted, skilled, talented, trained musicians, and, then, and we just display it for people. Uh, some churches see music as a means of drawing crowds. Uh, in fact, a lot of churches do. Um, you know, we, we think music has this, well, music does have a power. It has an emotional, it's like an emotional magnet. And if you do it well, you can, you can make your church grow just by having great music. Um, some churches see it as an expression of God's beauty and creativity, certainly a legitimate um, aspect of, of what music is. And it's a reflection of uh, the God who creates things beautifully. Uh, some see the time of music, of taking their cues from Ephesians 5, 19 and Colossians 3, 16, it's a time of mutual edification. So we're just kind of teaching and admonishing one another. Um, music can be used to give glory to God. We're told to sing praises, sing praises to God, sing praises to our King, sing praises. And um, we glorify him through that. And uh, then 
some churches see it as a way of stirring our affections for God, um, either either in an extreme way or in a moderate way. But just music is an emotional language, and so we use m- music. Some churches use music to to affect us. One word that's rarely mentioned, and one that uh, some of those aims speak to, uh, may be one of the most important for a leader to consider in terms of how we think of music in the church, and that word is pastoring or shepherding. Uh, Scripture gives a number of roles for a pastor. What is a pastor called to do? I see at least five ways uh, that a pastor is called to fulfill his responsibilities. They're responsible to feed the church, feed the flock, lead the flock, care for, number three, protect the flock, and be an example to their congregations. And uh, three scriptures that those roles are drawn from, one would be 1 Peter 5, Verses 1 and 2, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So there you have the caring for the flock and, and leading, exercising oversight. Uh, first, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So that's part of a, a primary part of the pastor's role is to teach. Then we have Acts 20, verses 28 and 29, where Paul says to the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves. It's part of being an example. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So there's the idea of protection. Now, there are many ways these responsibilities are carried out. Primarily through the preaching could be one-on-one counseling, it could be one-to-one ministry, it could be writing, it could be serving. But singing is also a way that we can carry out those roles. I believe it's the way God intends for us to carry out those roles. Wisely and faithfully led, songs can be a way of shepherding your congregation. Whether it's the pastor, you as a pastor, or someone you delegate, Choosing and leading songs is a pastoral function before it's a musical one. Now, I know we come from a lot of different backgrounds here, and I don't have time to, to like, address every you know, aspect of, of that, what that means, and you may come from that kind of background. I just know in the early, uh, I should say the late 1990s, early 2000s, um, I've worked with C.J. Mahaney for the last 20 years, 21 years, one of the greatest privileges of my life. Um, he's, he's trained me in these things. And actually, this message comes out of his, his input into my life. It was around that time I began to realize, we're not just leading songs. We're not just singing. Like, there's stuff going on here that we can really take advantage of. So let me say at the, the outset, we can just sing songs and it's fine. The Holy Spirit works. If we're singing good songs... He works through the truths we're singing, and you know, pe- people can encounter God, they can be changed, their minds can be renewed, j- just without any leadership at all. What I'm suggesting is that we are missing an opportunity, if that's the way we think about it. We're just missing an opportunity to care for the people that God has put in our church. So whether it's the pastor or someone he delegates, Choosing and leading songs is a pastoral function before it's a musical one. That's why pastors must be involved in the choosing, singing, and leading of the songs in the church. Maybe not the singing. Choosing and the leading of songs in the church. Uh, It's crucial. Uh, Hebrews 13 says that pastors have to give an account for the people in their church. I had a pastor email me one time and say... uh, yeah, my, my music leader doesn't want to submit the songs to me in advance of Sunday. Should I talk to him about it? <laughs> he said, of course you should talk to him about it. You're the pastor. You're the one who's going to give an account. He's not going to give an account. You are. And so the songs he's leading them in, they're having an effect on the people. You're responsible for that. So, for, you know, for some of us, that's going to be like, whoa, you mean like I actually have to know the songs? Yes, yes, you actually have to know the songs. You should know the words of the songs, which I'll get into. All right, so first, how do songs help us feed the flock? 
That's what we're going to look at first. Uh, songs teach. That's, that's how they help us. We are what we sing, one writer said. It's not only preaching that feeds the flock. Songs do as well. And both preaching and singing aim at magnifying God's glory in Christ in our hearts and minds and wills. The same goal. Singing just uses music to do it. And it's not systematic theology. It's not exegetical. You know, there is a poetic aspect to music that, that sermons don't necessarily have. But they have the same aim. We are seeking to magnify the glory of Christ, glory of God in Jesus Christ in people's minds and hearts and wills. Colossians 3.16, I mentioned already, says we are teaching and admonishing one another. Isn't that weird? I mean, do you, how often do we think of that? When we are singing, we are teaching and admonishing one another. It's not just me and God having an experience. It's, it's we're teaching and admonishing one another. There's a horizontal aspect to what we do when we worship God in song. You may think people are only learning from your sermon, but actually, they're probably learning more from the songs you sing. Because no one's going out singing your sermon. I trust. It's why, you know, guys like um, uh, Philip Doddridge and uh, Wesley, why they wrote hymns to go along with the sermons they preached. John Newton. Uh, you know, they preached a good sermon, but they thought, how am I going to get th- these thoughts to stick in people's minds? I'll write a song. You know, I mean, for those of you who preach every week, you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean write a song on top of like writing the sermon? I, is that like, what do you ask me to do? Well, you don't have to write it, but I would consider that you consider the fact that people are probably remembering more from your songs than your sermon. Just, just consider that. Songs teach us. What do they teach us? They teach us about God, ourselves, and our world. So we want to make sure that our congregation is getting a theologically balanced diet in the songs we sing. That it's sounding, our songs are sounding the right notes, no pun intended. First, songs should emphasize the objective truths of God's character, word, and works. I did a uh, video this morning as part of a Psalms project that Phil, Phil Webb is working on. And uh, my, my topic was themes of God's glory in the Psalms. And just as an exercise, I went through the Psalms a number of times and marked all the times where the psalmist was referring to God's nature or his worthiness, his character, God's word, and God's works, who God is, what God says, and what God does. It's pretty much every, it's pretty much all, everywhere. Uh, you know, I wrote it in my margin. It was Psalm 119, you know, next to each verse. I wrote word, 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 176 times, word, word. Because I wanted to feel it. I wanted to feel the impact of what the psalmist is doing. He's saying, you know, God, God's word can't be separated from God himself. And, and it's, it's, we praise God for his word to us. It's life. It's, it's transforming. So that should lead us to sing songs that have those things in them. So here's the question. If people only had the songs we sing to learn from, how well would they know God? How well would they know about his justice and his holiness, the coming judgment? Would, would our songs want to lead them to live holy lives? Th- that's what we want to aim for. If we're not there, that's what we want to aim for. More specifically, when we talk about the, the worthiness and the word and the works of God, our songs should celebrate and expound on the gospel, which is the greatest of God's works, which is the Word incarnate, which is all the attributes of God displayed most gloriously and most clearly in Jesus Christ. So, do our songs make clear why Jesus came to die? There's a, you know, one of the most famous songs in the English language is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, which is a beautiful song one by, by my favorite hymn writer, Isaac Watts. It doesn't tell us anything about why Jesus actually died. 
if you go through the lyrics, all four verses, it's about his love. It's about beholding the, the, you know, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns composed Sir, Sir Richard Crown? Uh, were the whole realm of nature mine that were present far too small? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's a response to the cross. But it doesn't tell us what happened. You know, a, a song that tells us what happened would be... Um, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Well, how did he do that? Well, let me explain. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Well, how, how, how did that happen? Well, let me finish. For God, the just, was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's how it happened. So, and we can sing those words and think, oh, that's a beautiful tune. It's just so nice. And yeah, this is just a great hymn. But without even realizing what we're saying, uh, we want to help people realize what we're saying, which I'll get into more of in a little later. Uh, we want to sing songs that communicate to people God is triune, consciously, intentionally. We worship God the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. Uh, so it doesn't mean doing three-verse songs, you know, every, every time. <laughs> Father, Son, Spirit. Uh, it just means looking for songs that, that have that aspect in them. So it becomes kind of like the fabric of, of our relationship with God. Um, uh, you know, Tim Chester wrote the words for a song I put music to, Come praise and glorify our God, the Father of our Lord. In Christ he has in heavenly realms his blessing on, blessings on his poor. I mean, it's just scripture, which is just great. Um, but it's, it's sowing into people's hearts and vocabulary that God is triune. And that's a good thing to do. We want songs that teach our identity is in the finished work of Christ as God's people. Not in our ethnicity, not in our culture, not in our nationality. The church is not a place to focus on us being Americans. The church is one holy nation. It's, it's a priesthood. It's a royal priesthood. We want to teach songs. We want to sing songs that teach that we live in a fallen world awaiting the consummation. It's not all over. It's not all done. This is not your best life now. The best life's going to be in heaven. I'm waiting for it. I'm excited about it. The older I get, the more excited I get. Uh, but we want to teach people, our people songs like the one we sang this morning, Jesus, I and my cross have taken. I, I just uh, so, I'm so grateful that Bill Moore put music, new music to that, but just for the words, Henry Light's words. Um, they, they remind us that, you know what? Following Christ, you might suffer. In fact, you will. And, uh, you know, come disaster... Come disaster, scorn, and pain. Uh, what? Come to that? We're not inviting. Yeah, come on, come on. We're just saying, hey, look, whatever comes in thy service, loss is gain. As long as I'm serving you, Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter what they throw at me. Uh, we need more songs like that. You can evaluate this over a week, you know, from week to week, over month to month. We just need to be aware. We are just like you'd plan out a sermon. We're planning out our songs and saying, are these covering theological ground or are we just doing the songs that are popular or the songs that we've always done? You know, some of us can be so, be, be so critical of like modern culture, but we just fall into another trap of just doing what we've always done. You know, not evaluating that. That's not a good reason for doing something. We've always done it. It's just, it's just not helpful. Songs teach us how to relate to God. So, shallow, repetitive songs can communicate that God is easy to know and he's a lot like us. Just, just kind of real, you know, not, it's not hard to know God. Doctrinally thick, difficult songs can communicate that God is only interested in relating to educated people. See, there's a tension there. We don't want to think we've got it covered because we don't sing any light, shallow, fluffy songs. You might be leaving some people in the dust. 
uh, because you're using a lot of thick words and people can't even take them in. It's just good to have a balance and to be aware of how your people are processing the songs we're singing. Emotionally driven songs, songs in which the emotional power of the music is greater than the lyrical power. Emotionally driven songs teach us that God is more interested in our feelings than our minds. Emotionally dry songs that never allow for expression teach us that God isn't that interested in what we feel and what we desire. And actually, he's very interested in what we feel and desire. Songs are an opportunity for us to teach our congregations that God is interested both in doctrine and devotion, intellect and emotion, our words and our lives. I get numerous comments here about my enthusiasm when I play the piano. I just say to people, we have a great Savior, don't we? And I think a lot of us don't make the connection that when we sing, we are displaying the glory of Christ, not just through our voices, but through our bodies. And when, when the uh, Eagles won the Super Bowl back east, um, it was quite a scene. Uh, nobody had to tell anybody from Philadelphia what to do. Uh, you know, they didn't have to say, uh, you know, stand up, get excited. Uh, why? Because something had happened that they understood and they valued. When we gather as the church, I think sometimes the problem is we don't understand what's happened and why it's so important. And so we don't respond. We're, we're going some ways going through the motions. Not always, and I'm not saying that, that that's what's happening, but what we want to help people do is understand what's happened and why it matters so that they can enjoy what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So we can combine intellect and emotion. Someone said to me earlier, uh, yeah, it's not, just, it's not just emotionalism. I said, yeah, that's right. It's not, it's, I mean, I, I, I am a, a, an excited guy. But I'm excited about Jesus Christ. That he came to save a sinner like me. I love that line um, in, uh, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Um, save, uh, saved ruined lives. Um, my rock and my redeemer. I can't remember it. But anyway, it talks about save ruined lives. I just think that's exactly what my life was. It was a ruined life. And that's what every one of our lives would be apart from Jesus Christ. Apart from his bearing our sin in his body on the tree. We'd all have ruined lives. And we don't anymore because of what he's done. So there's a time for bowing. There's a time for celebrating. There's a time for repentance. There's a time for rejoicing. There's a time for reflection. And there's a time for proclamation. It's, we want it all. Our songs, because our songs both reflect and shape what we believe and feel. They express what's in our hearts and minds. So John Piper says, the reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotions that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms or even poetic readings. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry, and some demand that poetry be stretched into song. I would say the gospel story is one of those realities that demand that we break out of poetry, break out of prose, break out of poetry into song. It's that kind of reality. But songs also influence what's in our hearts and minds. So we might walk into a meeting and think, yeah, I'm not, I'm not engaged. I'm not really tuned in to what, what's happening or what God has done. Well, songs can help us. So Jonathan Edwards said this, the duty of singing praises to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections. Now, he's not talking about emotions, just temporary, oh, but affections, why we do the things we do. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music, except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. Songs help us feel the truth. That's what they do. 
which is a part of teaching, which is a part of feeding, because we want to feed people the truth, but not just in an academic way. We want them to get this in their hearts. So songs help us feed the flock. So here's some questions you can ask. Each of these, I'm going to just suggest a few questions. What am I doing to ensure a balanced theological diet in the songs we sing? Am I doing anything? Am I making sure that our songs are theologically balanced? How well do I know the content of our songs? Like, do I just look at a title and think, oh, I know that. In what areas or emphases are our songs deficient? So those are some, some of the things we can do. Uh, second way that songs help us pastor the congregation, songs help us lead the flock. They help us lead the church. You don't have to be musically gifted to lead the music in your church. It may come as a surprise to you. You have to be musically trained. Singing is a way that we pray. If you can lead prayer, you can lead singing. Singing is a way that we thank God. If you lead people in thanking God, you can lead singing. It's a way that we praise. It's a way we lament, rejoice, learn, exhort, and exalt. All those can be led. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3.16, it's the word of Christ that's to dwell in us richly, not the melody of Christ. If it was just the melody, then this would be restricted to musicians. But it's not. It's the word of Christ as we're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that requires knowing what our songs say and seeking to maximize the effect of the lyrics. This is where leadership comes in. So before the meeting, pastoral leadership would be seeking to plan carefully to ensure theological weight and balance and relevance. Pastoral leadership would seek to plan expectantly because we believe that God wants to bless his people. Pastoral leadership would say that we plan humbly with the dependence on God's spirit and not our plans. There's no perfect plan that God is required to bless other than the proclamation of his word and the proclamation of the gospel. But it's not our particular plans, our, our grouping of songs or scriptures or prayers. So we, depend, we plan humbly and then we want to plan purposefully so that people know what to focus on. It's not just a list of things thrown together. There, there's a meaning, there's a reason, there's a progression. We're thinking about that as, our, as we plan our meetings. That's before the meetings. Leading during the meetings is important as well. The pastor's ultimately responsible for what takes place during the entire meeting, not just the sermon. Now, you can certainly delegate this stuff, but a pastor's responsible. And I'd say well-timed transitions are key moments to exercise wise, godly, pastoral leadership. Well thought out, well-timed, thoughtful transitions. So, why are we going to sing this song? Here's two ways of approaching that. Turn to hymn number 46. That's one way. Here's another way. We're going to sing a song now that reminds us of our great need for God's mercy and his provision for us in Christ. Hymn number 46. See what I'm doing? I'm drawing attention. I'm saying, hey, I know what you're thinking right now. This is what we need to think about. What we need to think about is that we needed God's mercy and he's provided it for us in Jesus. And as we start to sing that song, those are the thoughts that will be most prevalent in people's minds because we've led them there. Why are we about to read this scripture? You know, and I share these things as things that, you know, uh, I've done many, many times badly. Uh, so I'm just trying to help you learn from my poor execution over the years. Here's one way. Now we're going to read the scripture. Okay, that's one way. Here's another way. You know, we've been singing about how God's mercy is greater than our sins. That wonderful song by Matt Boswell, Matt Papa, his mercy is more. Paul highlights that reality in this passion's in this passage from Romans. Listen as I read it. It's always better when people are listening for something, when we're looking for something. Have you ever done that? You, you read a passage and someone says, okay, now think about this as you read it. So that's what we're helping people do. 
Why are we praying now? So we have a pastoral prayer in our service every week. It's about five, six minutes. And we always do it after, we, after the introductory uh, you know, call to worship songs, scripture songs. Um, and then we pray. So we could just have someone come up and say, let's pray. But here's what, here's what guys will often say. We've just been singing about how Christ has met our greatest need by taking our sins on the cross and so that we could be forgiven before God and reconciled to him. That gives us great faith to ask him for lesser needs for our good and his glory because he's, he's already taken care of our greatest need. So let's go to him with our cares, our concerns, our prayers, our requests, and then we pray. So what we're doing there is helping people see that we just don't come to God because he's available. We come to God because Jesus has made the way. And we always come that way. You know, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Come in. You can do it. Because Jesus has already made the way. So we're trying to make that connection for people. What should we be thinking about at any moment in the service? We can help people by just dropping in a phrase, dropping in a line, directing them. We're always seeking to draw attention to biblical truth and lyrical content. It's the truth that sets our people free, not the tunes. And if we don't draw attention to it, there's a good chance they're not going to get it. There just is. We can also lead through teaching on the role of music in the church. There's a lot of confusion about this. We all come in with our assumptions, our preconceptions about what music is supposed to do, about what, what we're supposed to be doing when we're singing. Well, we have the opportunity to shape them. We have the opportunity to help them see that maybe singing something different than what they thought it was. A lot of people come in thinking, well, this music's about me, isn't it? I mean, I want songs I like, and you aren't doing songs I like. Why aren't you doing those songs I'm hearing on K-Love? That, that's the songs I want to hear. You guys don't do those. What's, what gives? Well, you know, we can stem off some of those conversations by telling people from the front why we choose the songs we do. You know, sometimes people ask me, why are your songs so wordy? And I tell him, well, God's a big God. He, we need a lot of words to describe him. And our songs are one way we're going to do that. Now, you don't want to go overboard again and, and be feeding two-pound steaks to a one-year-old. But we do want to acknowledge that it does take a lot of words to process this. And if we're going to get detailed and specific like the Psalms do, it's going to take, it's going to take some words. And, and we don't, we're not embarrassed about that. Or if someone says, uh, you know, um, we could say from the front that, that uh, when you come in this morning, uh, you know, sometimes people think, well, I'm going to wait for the musicians to kind of warm me up. You know, then I'll, I'll, I'll worship the Lord. You know, maybe the third song, fourth song. You know, don't cut us off too quick because I, I need time to warm up. No, no, music isn't a warm up. For, for worshiping God. It's, it's an expression. It's meant to be uh, what the overflow of our hearts. As we come in, we come in worshiping God. We come in wanting to give Him glory. And songs enable us to do that. And at the same time, teach and admonish each other. So we can say that kind of stuff to our people. Don't expect music to do what God's Word and the Gospel are meant to do. That's another thing we can say to them. Uh, the most important sound on Sunday morning is the congregation. So, you know, one of the things that's so great about being here is, is the times of acapella. It's, I, I just said somewhat re, uh, earlier, I, I could come and hardly play because it just sounds so great. The only reason I play is because we have to keep in time. And, uh, you know, it, it just get messy if it was just all acapella. It'd be a lot slower. Everything just tends to slow down. But the acapella is great. You know what? In your church, you should be doing acapella at some point. Every Sunday, you should be this conviction. You should be singing. Let the people sing. Because if they don't, here's what happens. You know, we're, we're, yeah, okay. 
Brittany told me to make sure something was disconnected, but I'm not taking it with me. Um, you know, if, uh, if you're, uh, well, let's just sing, um, um, when, when peace like a river, when peace like a Okay, just voices. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Isn't that a completely different sound? It's so totally different. I mean, I like playing the piano, but really we're not here to listen to me play the piano or trip over the bench. We are here to hear faith-filled, spirit-produced, gospel-aware, informed singing from the hearts of those that God has redeemed through the blood of his Son. That's what we're here to hear. So if in your church you're not hearing that, then you got work to do. And it's good work. It'll be great work because the Spirit's in this. God wants to see His Son glorified. And singing is one of the ways we do that. So, how much time do we put into planning our gatherings? The whole thing. Back home in Louisville, I have the, at Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville, I have the joy and privilege of planning the Sunday liturgy. So I do the whole thing and then I email it to all the guys and the other pastors and, and we talk about it. Um, how much time do we put into that? Where is pastoral leadership evident or lacking in our meetings? Where can you start adding something that will help people understand what's going on? What can we do in the short and long term to help the church better understand what is happening as we gather? Okay, so that, those are some of the questions we can ask. Okay, third way singing helps us pastor the congregation. Singing helps us care for the flock. Every week, we have the opportunity to care for the souls of the people in our church through the songs we choose and the songs we lead. We do that by connecting the character and word and works of God to the challenges that our people are facing. So picking good songs is half the battle. Really, we don't give enough time to this, I don't think. Maybe you do, and that's great. Praise the Lord. I think a lot of pastors don't. A lot of churches don't. We, we, we tend to do songs that popular, easier, familiar. And when I plan the songs for this conference, which I, it's a joy to do, I, I, I must have looked at, all the hymns in the Hymns of Grace hymnal. Because I wanted, to find what, I wanted to find songs that say what I wanted us to say, what I thought we should say. It, it wasn't like, well, let's see, this, this will sound really good. Yeah, oh, they love to sing this one. Oh, this, I wanted songs that would say what we needed to say and songs that would communicate God's provision for us in the midst of our whatever it is we're going through. So if you're taking notes, write this down. When people come into our meetings, they are struggling in one of three areas, battling one of three things, sin, suffering, or self-sufficiency. Everyone's battling one or more of those things. No one's, no one's immune. Sin, suffering, self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. God can use the truths in our songs to give them hope, to change them, to renew their minds. They don't even have to wait till the sermon. And hopefully the sermon's going to do the same thing. But we can get a head start and get it going in the singing. Isn't it great when, when you, you're done singing, you think, man, I don't even know if I need to preach a message. 
That's how it should feel. Now, you should preach the message. <laughs> That's not an out. Uh, but it should feel like that. It should feel like I've just been taught and admonished. My soul has been cared for. And the way we're going to care for people's souls most effectively is by helping them understand how the gospel addresses each one of those issues. How what Jesus did makes a difference in what they're going through. Many of our people's problems result from a deficient or inaccurate understanding of the gospel. Which is why, as I mentioned earlier, we want to sing songs not only about the cross, but songs that explain what it means and what it accomplishes. So, what about people who come in and they're struggling with guilt and condemnation? Well, we, we, we feed them, we teach them, we care for them. With songs like I sang earlier, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there and made an end of all my, all my sin. Um, man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God have been on Jesus laid. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full. It's the only Hillsong song we do. But it's, and there's, there are probably a couple other ones we could do. And the people from Hillsong are just, I've spent time with them. They're servants, they're joyful, they love the local church. Um, but that is a great song. Uh, and so we do it. And uh, we should do it. I encourage you to do it. Um, reconciliation to God. We've been reconciled to God. We don't have to stay in the distance. Bold, bold, I Oh, whatever the melody is. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Bold, I approach the eternal throne? Yep. Because of what Jesus has done. We've been adopted into God's family. I, I don't feel loved by God. I don't, I don't feel like he's my father. And now we've been adopted through his son eternally. Now that's a quick line and we might have to draw people's attention to that. I don't feel secure in God's love. I, I, I feel like, oh, he's, gonna, he's not paying attention. He's going to let me go. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. And that's you too. We're singing this to each other. We're teaching and admonishing each other. I'm battling sin. I, I just can't get beyond this. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. See, when you start to see songs through the lyrical content, you don't think so much, is, is this a hymn? Is this a chorus? Is this a modern worship song? Is this, you're just asking, is this true? Will this care for the people in my church? Will, can the, are these words that the Holy Spirit can use to minister to the people in my church? I have people in my church who are, who are afraid of dying. They don't know what's coming. No, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. See, what happens with songs like In Christ Alone is they catch on immediately because the tune is fantastic and the words are so meaningful. But over time, they just become classics. And we just kind of do them because church loves them. Yeah, everybody sings really loud and it's so great. If that's our approach, we are missing what the song is for. We've lost touch with why we're singing it in the first place, which is to teach and admonish one another and to care for the souls of those who are in our church. So we want to make sure the gospel is being clearly presented, explained in our songs, and that we're drawing attention to that. We also want to care for people by giving them hope for change during their struggles against sin. Because it's not singing per se, that changes us. It's trusting in the finished work of Christ. And that's what our singing should point to. It's, it's not being moved emotionally. It's being changed by the power of the Spirit. So we sing, Now, Lord, I would be yours alone. 
and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. That's right. We need that truth. It's not going to come from you. The strength to have victory in that area of your life, it's not going to come from you. But you can cry out to God for grace, and he will give you grace as you seek to make Jesus your delight, your treasure, the one you depend on and rely on and go to. He can work. And then we care for people by providing comfort and strength during suffering. So a lot of suffering people in our church. We sing about a God who not only knows and understands our suffering, but who has a purpose for it and can sustain us through it. Trials actually tend to reveal roots of self-sufficiency and idolatry. They show us what we trust in. They show us what we're relying on. We don't want to tell people God doesn't want them to suffer. We want to tell them and sing that God is a strong refuge in the midst of suffering and that all our suffering needs to be seen in light of the Savior who has come to redeem us. Because we're not just planning songs for Sunday. We're preparing people to live and to die. That's what we're doing with our songs. We learned a, a new song a few years ago called New Again by Sojourn Music in Louisville. The chorus just goes, Death is defeated and Jesus reigns. Tell the world there is hope in his name. He pushed back the darkness. He conquered our sin and Christ will make all things new again. It's just a powerful, powerful song about how not one, not one shed tear, no strand of grief falls to the ground that he doesn't see. That's not the words, but that's something close. Um, but it talks about how Jesus came in the midst of our tears and our suffering, um, and he's conquered death. And the verses are, are down low, uh, down here. Da, 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 da. When death shows its face and bears its teeth, may we with faith run to Calvary. And there's another half verse, and then it goes, Death is defeated, and Jesus reigns. So that's the song. So about Six months after we taught that, a well-loved husband and father in our church, three kids expecting the fourth, died in a car accident on Thursday morning. Total shock. You, I'm sure many of you experienced something like this in your church. So we scrapped the plans for Sunday and we, we started all over. So... We had songs to sing. We started with, Great is thy faithfulness. O oh God, my Father, there is no shadow returning with thee. And then we moved into a song, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. It's a, it's a William Cooper hymn that I set to a different tune a number of years ago. Really helpful. God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Uh, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in his dark and hidden mind, with never failing skill, he fashions all his bright designs and works his sovereign will. And the chorus goes, so God, we trust in you. Oh God, we trust in you. When tears are great and comforts few, it goes like this, <laughs> since I have the piano. God, we trust in you. Oh God, we trust in you when tears are great and comforts few we hope in mercies ever new we trust in you and that's as much of a resolution as it gets and then we did a song uh that again Years ago, I found in the Spurgeon hymnal a, a, a song that began with the lines, It is not death to die. And I thought, 
I want to sing that. So I put, It is not death to die, to leave. Oh, man, I don't know the words. Da, 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 da. I should really be more prepared. Uh, so we did that song, and then uh, we did, uh, and then out of that, we finally did that other song I was talking about, New Again. And it was so powerful. So I share all that to say that when you're picking your songs, think about how God's going to use them to pastor your people. Think about the words that people need to say when they miscarry or when they find out they have cancer or when they lose a job or when their, their teen is wayward or when they're going through relational difficulties. What kinds of songs? can we sing? That's thinking pastorally about the songs that we sing. So here's the question. How well do the songs we sing specifically address the needs of our congregation? What areas are we deficient in? How can I make connections for people more obvious? All right, two more. When did we start this? Okay, we're done in at half past Ha <laughs> we'll see. Um, I'm going to try and do my best. Songs help us protect the flock. Okay, we're not the only voices seeking to influence the hearts and minds of the people in our church. We protect the church from the, from the errors of the world by singing songs with rich, deep, theological, Christ-exalting truth. We protect the church from the vices of the world by reminding them of God's holiness and justice and coming judgment, his purity, his wrath against sin. We protect the church from the pleasures of the world, from the errors, the vices, the pleasures of the world, by doing all we can to present Christ as dazzling, Paul Tripp's word, and infinitely superior to worldly joys. Our music should be beautiful, appealing, engaging, and relevant. Beautiful, appealing, engaging, and relevant. Our lyrics should be even more so. Because music is great, Jesus is greater. That's what we need to remember to protect the church with our songs. So how well do our songs teach the cardinal doctrines of the faith? How much do our meetings communicate God's standards of purity and holiness? And how often do our songs draw our people's attention to the goodness of sweetness, and pleasure of praising God. Finally, songs help us model for the flock, and that's just referring to our engagement as we sing. Our engaged singing shows our people that we are not just shepherds, we're sheep. And we have a shepherd like they do. And we need a shepherd like they do. The uninvolved, uninvolved or distracted leader doesn't communicate that singing is unimportant, but that exalting God is unimportant. And the quality of our private devotion to God will be most evident in public. So what do people see of Jesus in my engagement as I sing? That's the only question you need to ask. How glorious does Jesus look in me when I'm singing? Psalm 34, verse 5 says, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Are we radiant when we sing? Are we thinking about it? Just a ton of other things. God says, no, if you're looking to me, you'll be radiant. It's wonderful. The result of all this, if we are seeking to pastor people through the songs we choose, the songs we lead, they're going to change. It'll be hard for them not to change. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And that's not specifically referring to the congregational meeting, but it certainly applies there. When we come together, what are we doing? Are we just singing? Are we just singing? I don't like calling it worship. I don't like calling it singing. It's something in between. Worship and song. We are beholding the glory of the Lord. That's what we're doing. We're taking time together as a family, as brothers and sisters with our church family to behold the glory of the Lord. And God says, you do that, you're gonna be, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you from one degree of glory to another. So what, what does that look like? What's it going to look like? Well, I think 
people will become more humble because they've seen how great the Lord is. People should become more holy because they see, see how much you hate sin. They'll become more secure because we're, we're singing to each other constantly. We're secure because of what Christ has done and not because of our efforts to keep ourselves in God's love. They'll become more unified because we're doing this together and we'll become more grateful because we see what God has done for us in Christ. And it's the most precious thing about our lives. So our songs aren't meant to provide everything we need as we seek to shepherd our people. But let's not give them any less than they can provide by seeking to use our songs as a means of pastoring, shepherding the souls of the people that God has placed in our church. That's my prayer. So we have a few minutes left. One. If anybody has any questions. Yeah. You're so welcome. He'll, he'll probably turn it on, I'm guessing. Is it on there? Is there a switch? Okay. There it is. Hello. Yeah. Um, you know, in Africa, sometimes we are wired in our music. And right now, there are fights in churches, which kind of music, which kind of instrument, and both. We are missing what you just taught. We are missing yeah. both. Whether you play which kind of music, which kind of instrument, or how you play like the U.S. missionary brought to us a traditional music, we miss the mark. Yes. Please. We would like to talk to you. <laughs> Wait, is this a public invitation? <laughs> no, it's okay, going okay. to be private. <laughs> So, <laughs> so, thank you. Yes. I'm glad I'm here. Oh, good. Me too. So, we need you. Mm. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the question in that. Is it one right there? I have a book, Worship Matters, that addresses, tries to address some of these things. I have a blog, worshipmatters.com, which try, I've been doing for 13 years. There's the book, and uh, uh, the book True Worshippers, which is for a congregation that I wrote, I think, last year or sometime. Uh, those are resources. Those are just trying to serve churches, uh, serve leaders as they lead. One, one last question. So when you said that people can learn more from the songs most often than the sermon, yeah. I was just wondering what your thoughts on were, how does that go along with leading off the stage? rather than just on the stage. Yeah, does your pastor preach off the stage? Yes. He does. He doesn't stand in front of people? Oh, no, he preaches on the stage. I thought you meant, does he still teach things when he's not? Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> he, does, he does teach well, up good. on the that's stage. that's a good yeah. conversation. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a great question. I, I think, so the question, right, you heard the question. Uh, the, I think the issue is, well, let me say a couple of things. We're not Gnostics, meaning the body means something and we, we experience things physically. It, it matters. The body matters. I, I think the issue is how people see what's happening and the motives of those who are doing those things. So uh, I've, <laughs> uh, I, when I see people lead, there are advantages to leading in front of people. There are advantages to, I mean, they don't have to be front and center. You know, they could be off to the side, but there are advantages for people being able to see you lead. Uh, I lead a, for an event called Together for the Gospel, which is happening for the month, uh, next month. It's um, thousands of men, similar to this, uh, but gathered in an arena. A couple years, four years ago, we tried me leading from a piano in the middle of the guys. It was horrible. Uh, because no one knew when, what was happening. It was hard to tell. I mean, I think they had a video of projection, excuse me, but it was just weird. When I was on stage, I can lead with my body, I can lead with my hand, I can lead with my, you know, 
They can see what's happening. So the other aspect of it is you can model what expressive engagement looks like. Natural expressive engagement. You don't want people who just, ah, you know, drawing attention to themselves. But when you respond naturally to the meaning of the lyrics, that actually helps people understand what's happening. So if, if I never do anything, you, I'm not helping you at all understand what's happening. You'll have to figure it out all by yourself, which you can do. But if I'm increasing the intensity of my voice at some point and getting more excited, then you say, okay, something's happening, something's happening. And, and, and you can say, and if, if my body starts to move and I come out in front like this, you realize, okay, this is more important, this is more important. Well, that's what the body's for. I mean, it's just a natural response. So, so I, I, you know, the Lord can work through anything. But I think there are advantages to having uh, musicians in front of the congregation who are there, who see themselves as servants of the congregation. Words, their voice is most important. We're going to serve you. So I think that's all we got time for. But thank you for coming. May the Lord bless your day.